Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and a few days ago, I got a text message from an old friend of mine, Dr. William Yule, who is a political scientist and a professor at Northeastern University. And like me, he also used to be a congressional staffer, although he's kind of tried to go legit since then. Unlike me, he can still bear to watch the Sunday political talk shows. And, you know, he texted me right after watching some of the Sunday shows. And he was like, this is, this is insufferable. I can't take it, Matt. Democrats have gotten hornswoggled. We've gotten sucked in once again to the same old Republican message trap that we fall into over and over again. Matt Robeson, he said, you should write an article about that. And I said, correction, we should write an article about that. So we did the article entitled Democrats, we're being played on immigration is now up and live on newsweek.com. I'm very happy to have my co-author, Dr. William Yule on the show. William, welcome to Beyond Politics. Thanks for having me, Matt. This is first, first of all, I, I kind of like the way that I say Dr. William Yule, like Dr. Richard Kimball, as if I'm questioning the credential. It's true. You actually have a PhD. <laughs> yes, I do. Another thing you have is COVID. That's so correct. thank you very much for doing this. If you sound rambling and incoherent during the show, that's my fault. It, well, I, I thought it was weird when I said I wanted to do this live with you and you you said, absolutely, it's going to be Zoom. So I got, yes, I got the right. message that you didn't want yes. to we're gonna. I'm actually. I have to say, I'm very pleased with the way the article came out. The only thing that's a little, a little, I don't know. I might, I might fix about it is the picture. You know, I, I urge people to check this out. I have to say, I showed it to my wife last night. She absolutely lost it. Um, it is intrinsically hilarious. Basically, what they've done, and I'm not dissing the art department at Newsweek at all. They do a phenomenal job. They turn this around super fast. Just something about the perspective on our photos. You look like you're sneaking up behind me to Jeffrey Dahmer me. Like, uh, what what's going I, on there? I, I am definitely in stalker mode. And yes. I showed it to my wife also. And she laughed. She's like, your picture looks fine sort of in standalone context. But yes. when you stick it behind mats like that, it looks like you're about to kill him. Yes, yes, I'm I'm very nervous. But you know, look, it's <laughs> fine. Be. I can get over it. I can get over it. So <laughs> I mean, let's first of all, I mean, all joking aside, what you bring and the reason I thought we should write this together is that it's it's very easy for Democrats to get into some very trite analysis and hand-wringing like, oh, message, strategy. This is the story of when I was in a congressional manager's training with James Carville. He used, he, he said, look, what most outsiders think is that politics is about sitting around, drinking coffee and talking strategy, which really means you've got one thumb in your mouth, the other thumb up your butt, you switch them every half an hour and you think you've accomplished something. And I didn't want to write an article like that. I wanted to put some substance behind your criticism of the trap we'd fallen into. And that's what we set out to do here is to try and try and put some meat on the bones of why you got so outraged. So just take us inside this. You're watching the Sunday shows and you're getting steamed. Why? why? Why were you getting so worked up? Because it's so transparent, right? We've seen this playbook again and again and again, right? And fool me once, fool me twice. It's it, it, you, 
you've seen this thing over and over and over. What we've seen is a pattern of the last six elections where we get into election season and Republicans, you have to give them credit. You can't, as we'll talk about later, you can't look at this emotionally, right? You have to look at it rationally. If you look at it through your rational brain and not your emotional brain, what they're doing is brilliant, right? They are doing their job, which is to change the subject to topics that best serve the people running in their party. And that's exactly what they're doing on this immigration debate. And they, it works so well that they keep playing that card again and again. And the thing that we should be asking is not why do they keep playing the card, but why do Democrats keep playing the game, right? Right. And I can, I, I think in the article, one thing we do is we sort of absolve the media for their role in this because it's like it's like the allegory of the frog and the scorpion and the scorpions getting the ride across the river on the frog's back and then stings the frog midway through and they both sink beneath the waves and they're about to die and the frog's like why did you do that and the scorpion's like i can't help it it's in my nature it's in the media's nature of course they're going to fall for this it's a juicy story when ron DeSantis does an outrageous stunt they're going to fall into it. But your point, I think, and the thing that I thought deserved some treatment, and I guess our editors at Newsweek did as well, was what about the Democrats' role in this? Because it takes two to tango on something like this, and we have been only too happy to dance over and over again. Right. And I, this comes back to some of the research that we pointed out in the article that I think is really important for people to understand. And, and this goes beyond sort of the simple campaign strategy that we're talking about. Research suggests that ads that play to that emotional side of our brains, right? And for Democrats, there's nothing more emotional than injustice, right? Republicans know if they play the injustice card and the more elaborate that, the more in your face that the injustice is perceived, the more that Democrats are going to go to that emotional side of their brain, they're not going to think strategically. They're just going to react to it. And that's exactly what happened with the Martha's Vineyard immigration issue. Right. Democrats and let's back out on collectively that. lost their minds. Yeah, yeah. And let's let's back out on that because I, I think the sequence here deserves a little bit of treatment, even though I'm sure people have kind of imbibed it over the course of the last week. Let's just, because I, I, I think the timeline is also important in this. So the first thing that we point out is that a little over a week ago, September 13th, and we set this up as, hey, here's an interesting coincidence for you. On September 13th, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, who's, who's truly a gem of the US Senate, put out a proposal for a national abortion ban. Now, this is terrible political terrain for Republicans. They know it. There's a strategy behind it. I, I get this. I'm sidebarring here for a second. I get kind of what he was thinking, which is, well, we have no position on this right now. We're like, we're, we're totally scattered as a party. So let's at least have a position that's a little bit of a compromise that has some exceptions it gives us a reasonable place to land. But basically the reaction from the Republican Party writ large was they were incensed. They were miserable with him because you're dragging the national conversation and the media focus back onto an issue we do not want to be talking about. That's September 13th. On September 14th, 
Ron DeSantis sends forth operatives to lure migrants onto planes. And so what he did was he used Florida taxpayer money to lure Venezuelan migrants from Texas to Massachusetts. Got that? And what happened? What happened? Well, all the national headlines, which on September 13th were about abortion, advantage Democrats, on September 14th were about immigration. On September 15th, immigration. September 16th, immigration through the Sunday talk shows and into this week. And it really stayed there until the recent Trump kerfuffle. But that was really your point, was that that's what the political operatives call a pivot. And he pulled it off. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing we know, the first truth we know is never get involved in a land war in Asia, right? The second thing we know is never, if you're Democrats, don't fall into the immigration trap. Oh, I thought it was never go in against the Sicilian when death is on. <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking of three, the number yeah, three. Okay, number three, yeah. right. So number three is immigration because it's got a twofer, right? It is an issue that more than any other, we know this from the polling, excites the Republican base, right? It is maybe the issue that unites the current Republican Party more than any other is sort of this otherness, this people taking over our country and immigration is sort of imbibes that whole issue. So it has that benefit, but then it also has the benefit of sort of driving Democrats crazy. They can't help but jump into it because again, it seems like such an injustice issue. Let me just tell you a quick story on this. When, way back in the nineties, when I was working in the Senate and I was actually working for a Republican in the United States Senate, liberal Republican from New England. There used to exist such things. Yeah, yeah, kids yeah. Out there. When those liberal Republicans were still, yeah, in existence now, they're yeah, all that, that didn't used to be like jumbo shrimp. That was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. And when I started there, I thought, okay, all the calls we're going to get from angry constituents will be about middle and lower income people feeling like the system is fixed against them, that big business has all the advantages, that they pay, you know, all the bills for, for politicians and stuff. Absolutely not. Never received phone calls about that. What did we receive phone calls about? Every, every hour, it was people complain, low, middle and lower income people complaining about illegal immigrants, people stealing money off of welfare. It was the other. It was people they perceived as sort of beneath them or taking what was theirs not the people above them, right? And so this really got entrenched in me as idea that this people that are less worthy than me are taking things that belong to me. And that, that notion hasn't, has only gotten larger as the decades have gone by in the Republican party. And I think this debate speaks to that issue. Well, one of the things that you brought, I think, from your own scholarship and from your familiarity with the psychological and political science scholarship that's out there that I thought was really interesting that we were able to get some of this into the article is sort of that twofer perspective. So you were just referring a moment ago to the Republican side of the coin, which is what we now know from behavioral economics about loss aversion. People hate losing what they've got. Even if you are economically limited in your resources, if you're lower income, middle income, 
if anything, it makes your sense of loss more acute. It makes you more open to the argument that here come the immigrants to take away what you've got. And by the way, when you were working in the Senate, that's when the classic Simpsons episode happened where they have to assess a bear tax because there is a bear wandering through downtown Springfield. And then Mayor Diamond Joe Quimby, voters are up in arms. Oh, taxes. And he's like, oh, it's going to take real political leadership to dodge this issue. Comes out and he says, the real reason your taxes are high, immigrants. And then everyone says, oh, yeah. Even when it was the bears, I knew it was the immigrants. And so, look, this goes back a long, long way. I'm off track. The other side of the coin, though, and this is something that you mentioned a moment ago, let, let's just dive into it for a second, is you said that Democrats have an elevated trigger for issues of fairness and justice. That's something that researchers have looked at. This is real. This is in our brains. If you're a Democrat, you're a lot more likely to get activated by something that plays on issues of, of justice. Right. Well, what you want, if you're the Democrats, right, you want to be rational about this. You don't, you don't want to let, just like in anything in life, right, particularly when you're talking to your spouse, right, you don't want to let emotions rule the, the conversation or drive you to where you're going. You really want to focus on that rational side of your brain. The research says there are certain things, whether we're on the right side of the spectrum, the left side of the spectrum, politically, that trigger that and make us go to that emotional side where we're not thinking straight, we're not thinking strategically, we're just reacting. For Democrats, clearly that emotional anger side of the brain is triggered by injustices. And this, I mean, you couldn't have put together a better stunt if you're the Republicans to sort of trigger that emotional response, taking people, I mean, morally, there's no argument here, right? Clearly, morally, what they did is reprehensible. But that's not the issue we're talking about, right? We're talking about strategic politics six weeks out from a midterm. You can't get tied up in that if you're thinking about political strategy. You've got to be thinking about how do we rationally deal with this issue? Right. And that's that's really the pattern. I, what I found galling about this, I think what, what got you was it's so well established in the research. It's it's so clear that this is exactly what is going on. Right. Like the, the Republicans, it, 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 it's it's, it's classic totally transparent. It's totally transparent. totally transparent. For me, without kind of the same academic perspective and knowledge of the literature that you bring, for me, it's just like, oh, it's a few weeks before the election. Is it immigration o'clock already? Because <laughs> I feel like I've seen this movie over and over again, and I kind of liked it when it was Friday the 13th, part one. And then when it was Friday the 13th, part four, I was like, I really feel like I've seen this movie and it's not getting any better. And when it was Friday the 13th, part 2022, and this time it's migrant flights to Massachusetts, but <laughs> it's like, dang, how can this keep happening to us? The only thing that doesn't fit that rule, right? The exception to that rule is Tom Cruise with Mission Impossible movies that just seem to be getting better and better. Well, that's true. Out, you know, but that's he, true. He, he still looks like 30 and he's 60. So he's wow. an exception to that rule. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does keep happening because it works. Why would you go away from it if it if it works? Right. Well, I, right. And and let I mean, let's just let's just put the history in here. Okay. So do you want it to go backwards or you want to go forwards? Let's go backwards. It's more fun. It's more fun. All right, here we go. So obviously the Ron DeSantis evil version of where in the world is Carmen San Diego 
that's the most recent iteration, 2022. In 2020, the Republican shiny new tagline to try and trigger and own the libs was open borders. Now, first of all, we walked into that one, right? We absolutely positively, once again, walked into it. How? Because we had a presidential nomination process and we had major candidates up on stage saying that they wanted to decriminalize border crossing, despite the fact that polling shows that about 40% of Latino Americans support that as a policy. This is not popular with anybody except for, I guess, progressive Twitter. And yet that we, we gave the ammunition, we handed it over. So Open borders was sort of the tagline du jour. It was the defund police of that year. It was the defund police of 2020. <laughs> and lo and behold, from September 1st to October 15th of 2020, immigration was Donald Trump's number one topic in TV ads. Think back two years ago. Was immigration the number one concern in America? Here's an idea. Maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was the massive recession we were going through. No, 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 no. It's not the bears. It's the immigrants. So that was 2020. All right. Any Anything further you want to say about 2020? No, no, no. You're on a roll. Keep going. Okay. So that's 2020 for you. I, 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 I'm laughing about this because it's the only thing that keeps me from crying. Because honestly, it is terrible. And as you said before, and this can't be underscored enough, the underlying issue is a moral callousness and reprehensibility that and 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 just a devaluation of the human lives of these people who are free, fleeing desperate circumstances, coming to this country, seeking asylum, and the Trump administration's response, as exhaustively outlined recently in the Atlantic, was to separate children from their parents. So I don't. I'm I'm making light of the politics of this, but not the underlying human part. Go right, yeah. and I I 100 agree with you. And that's I think some people might hear our message and say. Well, you're you're clearly devaluing the trauma that these people are going through. No, 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 no. The people that are suffering from these incidents, clearly this is morally reprehensible. But we miss the larger point. If we let the national narrative be just about that, I'm all for the the lawsuits going forward to 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 put Governor DeSantis in his place and all that. But the larger narrative, if it's on that topic. It is not a help to those individual families or to any immigrant families. It's a detriment because when the focus is on that, Democrats, more of them will get voted out, more Republicans will get voted in, and you'll have a more stringent immigration policy than you would otherwise. There are larger implications than just those families. All immigration families, in fact, all families in America are going to be impacted if this is the national narrative. See, that's the key to this entire conversation is Democrats ingrained feeling that we have to win every argument and we have to do so kind of per our namesake. We've joked before that Democrat is, is an old word, an old Greek word that means repeats facts smugly. We have to win this argument and we have to do so in the context of a political campaign. No, Matt, that's, I mean that's not how we win. What Where we have to win the argument is in governance. We have to take control of the government through democratic processes so that we can win the argument there and treat these people with respect and dignity and fairness and compassion. The argument that we're making is that when we allow ourselves to try to argue this out and litigate it as part of political campaigns, especially in the run-up to a midterm election, 
we're actually losing. We're actually doing harm to the people we want to help. That this Go is, ahead. Yeah, I was just going to use a little quick analogy here, right? It's not that different than arguments I get in with my wife, right? If <laughs> I'm only concerned with winning every single point in argument, I'm harming my longer term goal, which is to have a healthy, happy, good marriage, right? Well, well, look, here's the, th here's the thing, though. This is why you have such a good marriage. I don't recall you ever winning an argument with <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Right, right. Right, because actually, there's a the joke about that too. There's a parade and there's a float for the one man who has won an argument with his wife. But you're not that guy. Let's just be clear. But this is this is Democrats' need, as you were just articulating, right? Again, playing to the what the research tells us. It's playing to that emotional need to say this is morally reprehensible, and therefore I'm going to fall into this bear trap that you've sent me, set Republicans. You're going to force me into being indignant about this immigration issue, which lo and behold, before we were even paying attention, we've now switched the debate from ground that was fertile for Democrats to close this midterm campaign season on solid ground. And we've just shifted in a 24-hour period to, to ground that is much more fertile for Republicans. And that's right. not where you want to be with a month left in the midterm elections. And again, you could sort of forgive us for taking the bait if we had not done so before. But, you know, right before we took a quick radio break there, we were starting the recitation of, of a brief history of Democrats stepping on the immigration rake over and over again. I'm just going to keep making Simpsons references until it gets old, which was probably like five minutes ago. All right. So we did 2020 when it was open borders, right? I want to take us back to 2018 for a second. Who remembers caravans? Remember caravans? According to Fox News and the 33 hours of pre-election coverage that they devoted to this topic, caravans were a mortal threat to the United States of America. 33 hours, the day after election day, 2018. Does anyone want to guess how much time they devoted to the subject of caravans? Zero. Zero minutes. Zero minutes. Although the next day after that, they did give four minutes and 57 seconds. So there you go. And then the list just goes on and on. 2016, the wall. We don't need to say anything more about that. Yeah. Donald Trump turned his entire campaign into a massive trigger mechanism for Democrats. In 2014, people may not remember back this far, but there was a brief moment like George Clooney looking up at the eye of the hurricane and the perfect storm where it's like, oh, we might have a bipartisan immigration deal here. And then the storm closed in. Marco Rubio freaked out, realized he would never be president if he gave in to some kind of compromise. That would be terrible. And there was a backlash and everyone was falling all over themselves, including John McCain to say immigrants are terrible. Immigration is terrible. It was the same thing down the stretch. We could just go on and on. I, I didn't even put this one in the article, but I don't know if you remember this from your congressional staffer days. In 2008, in 2008, I was working for a member of Congress in a swing district. And over the summer, you know what we had to do? We had to send him to the Southern border. He represented New Hampshire people. We had to send him for a photo op to the southern border to show that he was taking immigration seriously. Why? Because we fell into the same trap. I've done this myself. So the point is, this has just gone on cycle after cycle. Interestingly enough, actually, there's research going on this back 
over a hundred years, which we do not talk about in the article, but there is a strong correlation over the whole history of our nation where when the foreign-born population, percentage of foreign-born in the country increases, going back to the 18th, 17th, 18th century, 19th century, as, as that percentage increases, what you see is exactly what you're seeing in the United States right now. You see rises in inequality, and you see rises in sort of conservative movements. And we see this sort of pattern over and over, and we're in this pattern again now. And again, this immigration rise over historically patterned has triggered these conservative movements, have triggered inequality that results in more polarization in Congress, more polarization among the public, more inequality among the public, and these sort of conservative backlashes. So right. we also sort of historically speaking, shouldn't be surprised by what we're seeing either. So there's fertile ground for this is what you're saying is that it's not like they're totally manufacturing this cut from whole cloth. There is there are there are trends going on in our society. We indeed do have high levels of undocumented, illegal, whatever term you want, foreign born population. Right. And so it it's it's out there and they're just they're just tapping into it. I let's let's bring this into the context of the current midterm election. So just stepping back, the situation that we were in a few months ago was it was sort of a it was sort of an article of faith among analysts that democrats were cooked because the historical pattern is just so strong just remind people what's the historical pattern that democrats are up against so historical pattern over the last 30 going back to 1932 is that on average the president's party in a midterm election particularly the first midterm election after that president comes into office, they on average lose 28 seats in the House and four seats in the Senate, which is just, you know, the Republicans only need a handful of seats to take the House this time. So 28 would be a wave. And we've seen actually much worse than that in the Bill Clinton years and and several other instances. So you see this wave against the party in power. And usually that's because that first midterm is seen as a referendum on the president in power. And that's what it looked like this election was also going to be in the spring. But then something changed. Then something changed. Enter Samuel Alito. (laughs) Right, right. Right. A little like the Phantom of the Opera. It's like he comes in, he's got a mask, a cape. Sorry, of course, you've got the Dobbs decision, which is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You have the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And that all of a sudden starts the floodgates. It mobilizes the Democratic base. We see this in special election after special election through the summer that, wait a second, something's happening here. Even in seats where Republicans are winning special elections, the margin at which those Republicans are winning compared to the percentage that Trump got in that same district in the last election they're dramatically underperforming where they should be. And then in some seats, we see Democrats winning seats that are either a toss-up or really should be in Republican hands. So we see sort of this shift all around the Roe v. Wade. So all of a sudden, what looked like a very hostile environment starts to turn over the summer, particularly in June with the Roe v. Wade decision, and starts to become, let's say, more fertile ground for Democrats. 
Well, and I, I want to pick up on that exact point because I have a little bit of a theory about this and it's not something that we got into in the article, but I want to run it by you. I think there are two effects going on here. One is the direct effect, right? Which is the Dobbs decision happened. We just talked about loss aversion. There was some in democratic circles that if there was a silver lining to this otherwise awful decision, it would be that people would really feel the loss in a way they never had before. Now, look, I'm, I will say that I was wrong about this, about this direct effect. Historically, setbacks on abortion rights have not led to any kind of raise in, rise in engagement among Democrats. It has not helped Democrats politically that much. The theory was, well, that loss aversion factor, finally actually losing the core fundamental right, it would be different this time. And the people who were arguing that were clearly right. So that's one thing that I think was going on. Mm -hmm. But I think there was also potentially an indirect effect. This is what I want to run by you. I wonder if partly what happened was an increase in engagement, an increase in paying attention to the news. It's so easy to let the news slide by you. For people who are really into politics, we're always monitoring this stuff. But 99% of the world, they're just kind of catching dribs and drabs here and there sometimes. And it's really only when they tune in and pay attention that they get engaged. I just I just wonder, and I'm, I'm wondering if there's any like research behind this, if this essentially was a trigger that said, wake up, start paying attention to the news. And that's what led to some of the other cascading effects we saw among Democrats in other ways. It's an interesting theory. Yeah, most of the research literature says that people don't start paying attention to an election until just a few weeks prior to that election. So I, I really think it's an interesting theory to say maybe this will the, that electorate up earlier in the process. I think more likely and what I would like to see some research done on this topic because it's hard to disentangle these things. What I think is also interesting that's different in this election than we typically see in a midterm election, usually all of the focus is on the sitting president. Well, right. we have a former president that doesn't allow that to happen, right? We really never had an ex-president like Donald Trump who even if it's bad politics, constantly wants the spotlight on him. And so this is no longer an election that's just a referendum on Biden's policies. Now it's a choice election, which we normally do not get in midterm elections, where it's do you support Trump or Biden? And if it was just a referendum on Biden, yes, his poll numbers are going up, but historically speaking, he's still in the low 40s. That still would usually mean bad outcomes for Democrats. But lo and behold, if it's a choice election, Donald Trump's approval ratings are 10 points lower than Biden's right now. So Democrats are happy to make this a choice election over a referendum election. Right, right. I think, I, again, this is not a provable proposition for me, but I, 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 I tend to think that the sequence here was, it was like an alarm going off. And all of a sudden, Democrats, I'm not saying we got woke, but I'm saying we, we got awakened to what was going on politically earlier than we otherwise would have. The next thing that happened was that referendum in Kansas. And what you saw in the exit poll data was that engagement 
And the amount basically people were paying attention had risen substantially on the on the side of people who wanted to support some form of reproductive freedom. And what you saw in polling overall across the country was a raise in enthusiasm among Democrats. And that was sort of the leading indicator of what later became an increase in Joe Biden's approval rating, an increase in Democrats standing in the congressional ballot. I think, I can't prove this, but I think that the mechanism was first you got the wake up call. Then when people started paying more attention to the news, you got some enthusiasm and activation. And finally, you saw the results in polling that now things were evening out between the parties, as you say, as it became a choice. Yeah, so I, mean, I think that's as good a theory as any. The question though is, as Bill Clinton recently said in his interview, right? Yeah, things look pretty good for Democrats right now, but Republicans are really good closers in election, yeah. right? And the question is going to be, sort of bringing us back to our article, what is going to be the focus of this last month of the election? And that's right. really, and things are so close right now that that's really going to determine a lot in terms of who controls the House, what the seat difference is, who controls the Senate in particular, right, which is a toss up right now. So, well, that's that's what we put in the article, right? We, right. we quoted Republican pollster Bill McInturf, who said there are two campaigns going on in America right now. On one side, there's a campaign about the economy, cost of living, crime, and border security, which is his euphemism for immigration. <laughs> and he says, look, Republicans are winning that campaign. When we're talking about those issues, Republicans are winning. There's a second campaign going on over there. It's about abortion and democracy. And he says climate change. I don't buy that. I think the other election is really abortion, democracy, and Trump. It's really about that choice you were saying, and Democrats are winning that campaign. If you've ever seen, if you ever watch CNN or any of these cable channels and you watch them do a focus group with dial testing and people are responding to what they're seeing on TV and they turn the dial to one side if they like it and the other side if they don't, picture that with Republicans and Democrats. When we're talking about those Republican issues, it, th then Republicans are winning. When we're talking about the Democrats' issues, Democrats are winning. That's it. That's the whole ballgame. And that's why I think you were so darn frustrated to see the whole conversation turn on Tuesday the 13th from a massive own goal by Lindsey Graham on abortion the next day to immigration. Doesn't matter if it was a, a bad stunt. Doesn't matter if it was transparent. Doesn't matter if it was cruel, inhumane, puerile, whatever. We're talking about immigration. Republicans are winning. And what we know from election sort of research going back since the beginning of the nation is people, the vast majority of people are not paying close attention, although it, I agree with your theory that it does the research this time around is suggesting that maybe Dems are paying a little more attention a little earlier because of the Dobbs decision. But historically speaking, most voters do not sort of make up their mind, particularly those people in the middle that you really need to win over all there's less and less of those as we've talked about and it in this last month focusing on the issues that's going to drive those voters to your party is so absolutely critical and to see the debate switch to the immigration is not a good sign for democrats in sort of the closing month here 
All right, let's get into let's get into prediction mode here. This is sure to go wrong. So I tweeted earlier, and folks, you can find me. I'm at Matt L. Robeson on Twitter. I tweeted earlier, here's a firm prediction based on our article. Now that Donald Trump has gotten himself into a little bit of trouble with the law uh, this morning, with the announcement from Tish James of the civil suit against him for his decades of fraud. And he's had a reversal by the appellate court in the Mar-a-Lago case saying, hey, you know what? The fact that you had sensitive nuclear documents doesn't mean you get to kind of hide the ball and delay the process. If you're selling secrets to the Chinese, we're going to keep investigating that. That's that's just not, not a thing we're going to let you get away with. I predict that we're going to see even more immigration antics from Republicans, because like we just said, it is their go-to move. It's the one thing they know how to do. So that's that's my prediction. What do you make of it? There, there's no doubt about that. The question is, right, the Republican, a lot of these Republican candidates had to go so far to the right to get Trump's seal of approval and to win those primaries that they've had to really make a huge shift back to the center in order to try and win over enough voters to actually win a general election. That's a tough thing to do in this time frame. And the question is, are they gonna be able to make that pivot with Donald Trump constantly in the news cycle? And that's, that's the, the real trouble that these, right? They're gonna keep bringing up immigration to sort of focus on that, but the news is gonna to wanna to focus on Trump. Look, I mean, this is where the media is, oh, look over there, a blue car kind of, the, the drip mentality could actually help us a little bit here because the Trump thing is going to just keep coming up. And by the way, can we just pause for a second on how incredible and how incredibly detailed the work of Tish James was? I mean, the specificity of the charges here, the fact that look at the most cited example. He has an 11,000 square foot apartment. He says it's 30,000 square feet. Now, Donald I know you're not a math guy. Math's not exactly your thing, but you can't just make up the counting of numbers. I know it was hard, for example, to know how many human beings attended your inauguration or what the size of your hands is. I know that's tough for you, but it's just hard to get around the tape measure principle that if the apartment is 11,000 square feet, it's gonna be pretty easy for prosecutors to come in and say, yep, it's 11,000 square feet. So. Look, I, I just think that as the details keep coming out and there's a new one time after time, there's a real potential that Trump could be kept front and center in the news. And let me just turn that into a question for you. I had this very smart Democrat. I think I've mentioned this on the air before. He texted me uh, maybe like three, three and a half months ago to say the January 6th hearings are just starting. And what's really on people's minds is inflation. And all Democrats are talking about is the insurrection. And we're in danger of looking kind of stupid, looking kind of like we're out of touch. And what happened here, it turns out that when people were getting kind of activated, maybe by the Dobbs decision, they started to really tune in and pay attention to those hearings. And those sets of issues, the insurrection and and the Dobbs decision became front of mind until the end of the summer. And suddenly NBC News comes out with a poll that says democracy, threats to democracy are the number one issues on people's minds over and above even 
inflation. So I guess my question to you is, do you think there's a prospect of that continuing here because the Trump circus is going to keep spitting out more and more crazy details? Do you think it's going to keep kind of blotting out the sun and keep Trump front and center in the news? I mean, I, I don't see how you couldn't be. I think the problem here is, yes, Donald Trump's going to keep the focus on Donald Trump. That It's just who he is, right? It's his brand. It's what he's all about. And the Democrat, there's, there's no difference between the Trump, the Republican Party today and Trump himself. They're one and the same. The question is going to be the fundamentals still favor Republicans, particularly as we look at the House. I think most, most models still have Republicans having a 75% chance of taking the House, right? The question is going to be, is there going to be enough of a shift in those fundamentals, even if the attention is kept on Trump, in order to allow Democrats to break through and hold on to the House? That's still a really tall order, even if the fundamentals keep turning in their direction. I just want to refer people back to an earlier Newsweek article, for me this time, not the both of us, in which I said, look, it's the wrong question to ask, will Democrats lose the election? Odds are, and they still are, that they will. But there's a big difference between losing by a little and losing by a lot. Being close, it's not just for horseshoes and hand grenades. It also matters in politics. So for one thing, there's the Senate, and you and I both know what a massive difference it makes to hold on to just one of those two chambers if you can. And that's, a, that's a big deal. The other thing is that in the House, there's a huge difference between a 10 or a 20 seat wave and a 20 to a 30 seat blowout. If you have a big working margin as a speaker or a majority leader like Kevin McCarthy is poised to be if the Republicans take over the House, it gives you an ability to manage a very difficult set of factions like the MAGA people and the QAnon people. And I don't know, maybe there's like 10 remaining moderates in the House. It just makes a big difference to have a big majority. It's super hard to manage a really slim majority. So the point is, even if Republicans hold on, they hold serve to what's expected here, there's very different versions of that. It's not the same thing to be losing by a little and losing by a lot. Losing by just a little would be a big victory for Democrats. I, I agree. And it's, it's a narrative issue too, right? A 40-seat wipeout of the Democrats would play in a narrative in a certain way about the Biden presidency. A, a slight four-vote, four-seat majority by Republicans just hanging on by a thread gives a very different spin. Almost a, would be, I think, spun almost as a Democratic win coming out of the midterm elections. Well, look, we've got to wrap up here in just a minute. So the article is called Democrats. We're getting played on immigration. It's up on newsweek.com right now. I hope we've sufficiently demonstrated to people why that's the case. I know, William, you've got to go. You've got to take some hydroxychloroquine or whatever it is. And you've got to get a new headshot taken, one that makes you look a little bit less axe murdery. And I'm looking forward to another article with you. And I look forward to coming on again sometime and we can talk about this further. Thanks for having me, Matt. 